Well, thank you for tuning in to our Wednesday evening service here at Pleasant Valley South Baptist. I invite you to take your Bible or your electronic device and find the book of James. James located in the New Testament after Hebrews and before 1 Peter. Turn in James to chapter 2. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 of James chapter 2. I've titled the message tonight, The Evil of Playing Favorites in the Church. I'm going to introduce a message with a story from a book titled A Dad's Blessing, written by Gary Smalley and John Trent. Grant's church was beginning a ministry to people suffering from AIDS. At the initial planning session, an expert on this type of ministry was going to be present to speak to the group about the do's and the don'ts of such a task. The catch was that the person who was coming had AIDS. As he drove to the meeting, Grant struggled with what his response would be. How should I address this individual? Would I shake hands with this person? Would I sit next to him? Would I pry into his lifestyle, demanding to know how he contracted the disease? How would I act if he volunteered that information? Is this really a ministry that I should be involved in personally? These questions and others were swirling through his mind. As he pondered these issues, he was reminded of James chapter 2 and verse 1 and the fact that favoritism is a sin according to God's Word. In reality, the issue is not whether a distinction is made over economic, social, educational, physical, spiritual, or health concerns or differences. The issue is that our motives for making the distinction are immediately called into question because favoritism is a sin. For a few moments this evening, we're going to consider what James has to say about the issue of favoritism within the church. Our denial of the presence of favoritism will only serve to further alienate those who possibly have concluded that they just don't fit in. So to begin with, notice with me the principle concerning favoritism. James chapter 2 and verse 1. And here we read, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of, God, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And as you look at that verse, you immediately notice that the key word here is partiality. The Greek word translated partiality or favoritism, it may say in your translation, it means literally to receive someone's face. It refers to a superficial evaluation of another person based on that person's outward appearance. The word is used three other times in the New Testament, each time communicating that God is not a respecter of persons, that is, he, he judges the heart and not outward appearances. You know, as we consider that, we're reminded of the story from 1 Samuel chapter 16 when God commanded the prophet to go to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, to anoint one of his sons as the king of Israel to replace Saul. And you remember the story. Uh, Jesse brought his sons out, beginning with the eldest down to the youngest, and brought them before the prophet. The first was Eliab. And when Samuel saw Eliab, he thought in his mind, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord said, no, this is not 
the one. For the Lord does not look on the outward appearance, but at the heart. Next was Abinadad. Again, the Lord said, no. The next, Shammah. The Lord said, no. Seven of his sons were brought before the prophet. And God said, no, to each one. And then Samuel asked, do you not have any more sons? And he said, well, the youngest, David, is in the field with the sheep. And Samuel commanded, bring him to us. Bring him here. And of course, when David came, Samuel looked at him and the Lord told him in his heart, this is the one, anoint him as king. The Lord does not look at outward appearances. The Lord looks at the heart. The phrase, hold the faith, in James chapter 2 and verse 1, where he says, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. That phrase, hold the faith, refers to the responsibility that all believers have as stewards of the gospel. Now, bear with me on this. This is very interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the first two verses, Paul writes these words. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. As faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our primary responsibility is to share that good news with those who are lost and the lost and dying world around us, and then trust in the Holy Spirit to use that proclaimed truth to impact and change lives. Now, think about this. We are the stewards. We've been given the responsibility as faithful stewards to share that word. When we judge other people by outwardly instead of their heart, and of course, only God knows the heart, so we are not to make any judgments concerning their outward appearance, but when we do, we have virtually made ourselves the Holy Spirit. Now, let me explain that. We have determined in our own mind that there are some who are more worthy of the gospel than others. There are some more worthy of our time and attention to share the gospel with them than others. And sometimes even making the determination if we want nothing to do with that person based on their outward appearance, that they're not worthy of the gospel at all. Such, such a determination when we play, practice favoritism in the church is seen by God as a blasphemous act that will surely result in severe discipline of that church. We have no right, no authority to judge other people by what they have or what they don't have, what they look like, all those things as to whether they're worthy or not. So the principle concerning favoritism is just don't do it. It's displeasing to God. It's an abomination in his sight. It's blasphemous to the Lord, and we should not practice this. And yet, we continue to place people in categories, ranking them by their looks, their clothing, their race or ethnicity, their social status, their personality, their intelligence, their wealth and power, the kind of car they drive, the kind of house they live in and neighborhood they live in listen to the good news translation reading of james chapter 2 and verse 1 gives us a little a better understanding it says my friends 
As believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearance. Well, next we have a picture of favoritism, verses 2 through 4 of James 1. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Now that word assembly there in verse 2 is commonly rendered synagogue, which of course is the Jewish place of meeting, the place of worship. So the example we're given of favoritism and action takes place in the church. Again, a more modern translation. This is from The Voice. In an, if an affluent gentleman enters your gathering wearing the finest clothes and priceless jewelry, don't trip over each other trying to welcome him. And if a penniless bum crawls in with his shabby clothes and a stench fills the room, don't look away or pretend you didn't notice. Offer him a seat up next to you. If you tell the wealthy man, come sit by me, there's plenty of room, but you tell the vagrant, oh, these seats are saved, go over there, then you'll be judging God's children out of evil motives. You know, I, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, could this possibly happen at our church? And I think it could, yeah. And it probably has. And it probably will continue to happen from time to time. Should it happen? Absolutely not. Because God makes it very clear that favoritism, judging others outwardly, is a sin and displeasing to him. If there's one place in the world where favoritism should be non-existent, it should be in the church, the body of Christ, because favoritism caused division and it, it alienates certain people who we have determined just don't measure up. You know, believers are described in Scripture as a peculiar people, being not of this world, different to make an eternal difference in the lives of those who do not know Christ. If we show favoritism... We are no different than those outside the church in the world who judge other people. The church should be the one place where no matter where you are, who you are, or who you're not, no matter what you have or what you don't have, no matter if you're a doctor or a blue-collar hourly wage worker, earner, no matter whether you drive a new Cadillac or a 20-year-old Ford, no matter whether you live in a mansion or in a shack, all should be equally welcome with open arms and the love of Jesus. A pastor friend of mine shared with me his first experience with favoritism in his first pastorate. He said the Lord called him there. Uh, he con the Lord confirmed it in his heart. Uh, the people were so excited about what was going on. He came and began to preach the word and Lives were being changed. There were people being saved. Uh, they were baptizing almost every week. Just God's Holy Spirit was moving in a miraculous way. And, and there was a desire within some of the members of the church, uh, more forward thinking, if you will, 
uh, to go on out further in the community and reach those whom they were not reaching. And they decided to start a new children's ministry. And as a part of that children's ministry, their plan was to take the church van and go to one of the mobile home parks a few miles from the church. And they would bring the children. Uh, they would, do, they would uh, um, go and do a, a survey in the mobile home park, see the children who were interested, talk to their parents. And then they would begin to run that van and bring the kids uh, on Wednesday evening to their new children's ministry. And so they, they filled the van up. And so it was just a couple of weeks till one of the elderly members of the church came to the pastor and told him, we just don't need those kind of people in our church. And the pastor said, what do you, what do you mean those kind of people? He said, uh, those kids, they're, they're disruptive. They're, they're, they're not well kept. Uh, they, sometimes they don't take baths. They smell. They, they, they cut up during church, uh, the, I mean, during the, uh, the uh, children's ministry. And those that have come on Sunday morning, they're, they're just very disruptive. And, and we just need to stop that. And the pastor just looked at her and he said, well, who are we trying to reach here? Are we trying to reach people just like us that, that we feel comfortable around? Or, or do we really desire to go out, as Jesus said, in the highways and byways and bring those who need to hear the gospel? And he said, who needs to hear it worse than these children who have, many of them have just, they live in single parent homes. They have no Christian example. And something needs to take place in their life. They need to hear the gospel now. They need to be taught what it means to be a Christian. Who, who needs it more than these? And he said, you know, it, it just, I should have expected, it shouldn't have surprised me, but it really, it really took me by surprise when she was that bold to say, we don't need that kind in our church. Well, needless to say, they didn't stop the ministry. They continued, and as a result, the parents of these children began to come. Some of them did. Some of those parents came to know Christ. Entire families were transformed as a result of that outreach and that refusal to show favoritism and judge some worthy and unworthy of the gospel. Notice with me now the problems with favoritism. Let's read verses 5 through 11. Listen, my beloved brethren... Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
In this passage, we see three problems with favoritism in the church. The first problem with favoritism is it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. A person's economic status is of zero importance to God. He said, James said, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So it's, it's, it's unreasonable to think that we should eliminate those who are poor in this world. Wealth in and of itself does not mean that a person deserves any special treatment. Although sometimes some in the church respond to a person of wealth as if it does. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, pastor, that's just, that's just human nature. You know, we just, that's just, that's just something that we just can't help. It just happened. We just, everybody judges. Well, let me ask you something. What does the Bible say happens to us at the moment of conversion? Does the Bible not say that we become a new creation in Christ Jesus? That old things have passed away and all things have become new? You know what that says? That that human nature, that this, this person is saying, well, it's just human nature. God can change human nature. And we're changed. Our nature is changed from within when we become a new creation in Christ Jesus. Do we still struggle with these issues? Certainly. But we cannot use the excuse, well, it's just, that's just how I am. That's just human nature. That's a cop-out because we have the power through the Holy Spirit living within us to not make those kind of judgments and to make sure that the gospel for the rich and the poor, for everyone, is equally accessible. Someone has said that our value is not based on our valuables, or at least it shouldn't be. Also, we must be careful not to confuse net worth with self-worth. For in the Lord's eyes, we are all worth a lot. We are very valuable to the Lord. We are his precious possession. In James's day, the rich were persecuting Christians, judging Christians, and insulting them and blaspheming them in the name of Jesus. James asked, why are you worried about impressing such people? For they are certainly not worried about impressing you. Well, not only is favoritism unreasonable, we also see in verses 8 and 9 that favoritism is unloving. Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Love our neighbors as ourselves. Part of loving one another is acknowledging and being grateful for our interdependence. You know, that's, that's the beauty of the church. You know, it's, it, it's only God could do what he does in the church. A church that is, that is in line with his purpose for the church and fulfilling his purpose. And that interdependence, that where, you know, the diversity comes to, there's the, the membership of the church is so diverse, but the Lord through his Holy Spirit, joins us together as one. And that diversity is celebrated. Someone has described that, that interdependence that develops when the church joins together in purpose. 
like this. Have you ever noticed that trees that stand alone usually receive the worst damage in a storm? Being separated from the group leaves them vulnerable and without protection. When we play favorites, we are deliberately cutting some people off from the support they need and depriving ourselves of the support that they might offer us. So when we show favoritism, that interdependence and that, that unity and that oneness of, the, of the, the fellowship is destroyed. God desires us to, to uplift one another, support one another, celebrate our differences, but join together in a common cause of sharing the gospel. Well, favoritism is unreasonable, it's unloving, and thirdly, favoritism is ungodly. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, For there is no partiality with God. There is no favoritism with God. So it goes without saying then that there should be no partiality or no favoritism with God's people. As I said earlier, favoritism causes division. It, it produces gossip and legalism and clicks within the body of Christ. It makes some feel they're more worthy than others and some feel less worthy or just that they just don't measure up at all. You know, Jesus identified the greatest commandment as loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And then he summarized the entire law when he said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Showing favoritism and partiality reveals a lack of love for God and for our neighbor, a sure sign of ungodliness. Well, in typical James fashion, Jesus' half-brother draws this practical instruction about favoritism in the church to to a close with the prescription for avoiding favoritism, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. So prescription number one is to live in the light of judgment. Jesus commanded in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, let's just think about this a moment. When we place judgment on other people based on externals, again, we're, we have made the determination that they're just not worthy. They're not worthy of our time. They're not worthy of our effort. They're not worthy of the gospel. And when we do that, we have made a judgment against them that is, has no basis in the Word of God. And the Lord says, if you're going to use that kind of measurement to judge others, then expect that same type of measurement to be used on you as well. You know, when we understand that we'll be judged by the Lord with the same measurements we use to judge others, the result should be that we're more accepting, we're less judgmental, we're more open to those who are different from us. We oftentimes confuse acceptance with approval. You know, if, if we are a church that are welcoming those who are lost, and they're going to be involved in all kind of lifestyles that we do not 
agree with. Matter of fact, they, they just fly in the face of everything we believe as Christians. But if we're open to those who need the gospel, that's, what, that's what's going to come. Uh, that, that's what they're going to be involved in. And we have to be very careful that we don't judge, not that we're accepting their lifestyle, not that we're putting a seal of approval on it, but we want them to come in and hear the truth. We want them to know what the Word of God says, not by pointing out and throwing Scripture at them, but lovingly sharing God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to bring judgment into their own hearts about the sin in their lives. If we were to say, if we say that a certain type of people are not welcome in our church, then we're putting up walls that cannot be penetrated and therefore not allowing the witness, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, the fellowship of God's people to have an influence on those who need to know Christ. At the church where I served before I came here, I've been there probably a couple of years, I guess, and one of the deacons came to me and he said, uh, Brother Billy said, um, I, I just want you to know that there's been a, a, a couple that has bought the house next to my property and um, it's a lesbian couple. It's two women. And um, I don't know how I feel about that, but he said, I think I know how you feel about it. And I said, well, are you asking me, should we go and invite them to church like we do anyone else that moves in the community? Are we to say, well, we shouldn't invite them because of their lifestyle? And I said, you know, I don't feel that way. And I said, I tell you what, I want you to go with me to visit them. He wasn't expecting that, but he agreed to go with me. And we went, drove up in that, in, up their driveway and uh, they both, one of them came out, greeted us. I introduced myself and, and the deacon and just told him, I said, you know, we, we make it a point to when someone new moves in our community that we want to make them feel welcome. We want to issue an invitation uh, to the church. And she, I think you could tell she was thinking, well, he, don't, he doesn't know who I am or he doesn't know the kind of person that I am because I know he would not agree with it and most pastors that I met probably wouldn't even be here and so she just had a kind of a puzzled look on her face well about that time her partner walked out and uh, she told her partner who I was and and the deacon introduced us and and uh, the lady just came out and said well I can't believe you came to see us and I said why not? Why? Well, we're just, we're just used to being, uh, uh, you know, pushed aside. We're not, uh, uh, we're not welcomed normally, especially in Christian circles. And we just, we're just surprised that you're here. Well, the Lord gave me an opportunity, of course, to share about our church and about what we feel is God's purpose and that we are committed to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel is available to all. And I shared that Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. And just shared about what the Bible says about when we're lost. What, what determines a lost condition in a person's life. And 
They listened so intently. And after I had shared with them, I said, now, y'all would be welcome to visit our church. And I, I thought the deacon was going to fall over right there. And I said, you know, I, I preach from the Bible. And I said, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know the teachings of the Word. And I said, uh, and I don't, I, I don't pick and choose scriptures. I just preach what the Holy Spirit lays on my heart. But I said, you would be welcome to come to our church. They were very, and I asked them before, I, I said, can I pray with you? <laughs> they certainly didn't expect that. And so I got my deacon and we joined in a circle. I, they, the lady next to me, woman next to me grabbed my hand and, and I just prayed. And, and I, I didn't pray a condemning prayer, of course. I just thank God for the opportunity. I can't remember their names now, but I had remembered at that time. And I thank the Lord for the opportunity to meet these two women and uh, to spend some time with them. I, um, and I just prayed that they would be open to the truth of God's word and that we as God's children would conduct ourselves in a way uh, that would reflect the love of Christ. And so we left and I told our deacon as they're pulling out, I said, I don't know whether there'll ever be church or not. And he said, well, you know, you're going to get some flack about inviting them to our church. And I said, listen, who needs to hear the gospel more? You know, if we're going to make those determinations and determine that because of their lifestyle, they're not worthy of the gospel, then we're not being true to the Lord. That's what the Lord wants us to do, not to be accepting of all these ungodly lifestyles, not to put a stamp of approval on them and, and not to, to gloss over it like it doesn't exist, but to be willing to stand firm on the Word of God, let His Holy Spirit work through us and lovingly share the gospel so that anyone, no matter what kind of lifestyle they're involved in, can hear the word, the Holy Spirit can convict their heart, and they can be saved. The church that accepts, appreciates, and affirms people is the church God blesses. Remember, Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. Well, prescription number two for avoiding favoritism is to show mercy. Verse 13 says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Those who determine the value of others based solely on externals are judgmental people, and they rarely extend mercy to others. We have all been the unworthy recipients of God's love and his salvation made available to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and we should be the first to extend like mercy to others. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the Beatitudes, and one of the Beatitudes is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Extending mercy to those the world considers unworthy will virtually eliminate a judgmental spirit in us as God's children. I love the parable of the Good Samaritan that's found in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 37. Here Jesus clearly teaches the importance of impartiality and extending mercy to others. So then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. 
Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. You know, the Lord, as all of his parables, he, he crafted them in such a way that they, they communicated a very bold message. And of course, by using Samaritans, and you know that Jews were hated, uh, they hated the Samaritans. Uh, they saw them as half-breeds. That goes way back to 722 B.C. when the Assyrians took the northern kingdom of Israel captive and, and brought in those to, to inhabit the land from pagan nations. And then those Jews that were left there intermingled with them. So that, that, uh, that group of people formed from that known as the Samaritans. And the Jews despised the Samaritans. But Jesus used the Samaritan here as the one who showed mercy. And Jesus was trying to teach that we must be careful how we judge other people. This man who was wounded, one whom people saw as not worthy of their attention. And Jesus said, we should extend that mercy. So the Lord wants us to know from his word that we all, as his children, have the responsibility to not judge, not be, show favoritism, not show partiality to, to those who are what we would determine to be worthy of our attention but to treat all the same and to seek to reach all with the gospel. I want to close with this story that beautifully summarizes this message on favoritism. It says, Bill had long hair. He wore a t-shirt with holes in it, jeans, and no shoes. This was his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He was kind of different, but brilliant. In his junior year, a classmate and friend who had been witnessing to Bill since their freshman year led him to faith in Christ. Well, across the street from the campus was a large church attended by obviously well-to-do people. One Sunday, not too long after he'd been saved, Bill decided to attend one of the worship services there. He walked into the large sanctuary wearing his usual wardrobe. The service had already begun as Bill started down the aisle looking for a seat. Well, the auditorium was completely packed and he couldn't find a seat anywhere. Finally, he just sat down on the carpet near the front. By now, all eyes in the auditorium were on Bill. And the tension in the air was so thick you could cut it with a knife. A few seconds after Bill had taken his seat, from the back of the church, an elderly dignified deacon with silver gray hair and wearing a nice three-piece suit slowly began making his way towards Bill. As he started towards him, everyone was thinking, well, you can't blame him for asking the student to leave because his presence is disrupting the service. 
when he reached Bill, instead of tapping him on the shoulder and escorting him out of the sanctuary like everyone expected, the elderly deacon dropped his cane and with great difficulty lowered himself and sat down next to Bill. Just as the minister was making his way to the pulpit to deliver his message, the minister stared down at Bill and the deacon, smiled, and then looked up at his congregation and said, what I'm about to preach, you will never remember. What you have just seen, you will never forget. That one act was more powerful than 10 messages. The fact that even though everyone expected the deacon to escort the young man out, he went down and joined him on the floor, showing that he was accepted. He was welcome. God is honored when we, as his children, treat those whom the world judges to be unworthy Treat them in a way that honors God. And that will create an environment where they can hear the gospel and as the Holy Spirit moves to respond. Favoritism and partiality are sins of the Spirit and evil that dishonors God and has no place in the lives of born-again believers and Christ's church. May we as a body of believers who whose desire is to reach our community and this world with the gospel, make sure that we don't judge other people by externals. But as God looks at the heart, a heart that needs Jesus, a heart that needs to be transformed. Join me in prayer. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, we do make excuses for judging people, making determinations about them by their externals, what they have, what they don't have, how they dress, what they drive, all those things, Lord. And, and we know, God, that that's not pleasing to you. And that if we're going to be a church that is going to boldly and faithfully proclaim your gospel, that we must not make judgments on others as to whether they are worthy or unworthy to receive it. We thank you, Lord, for the convicting power of your word. And we just pray, God, that you will equip us to make sure we do not practice favoritism and impartiality in the world. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.